This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. And I'm Annie Reese. And our topic for today is sourdough bread. Yes. Sourdough the bread. I don't know what else it would be, but I'm sure there's oh, something. Humans are real creative. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and, and, and why sourdough in particular? Well, as it turns out, br- bread is not a small topic of human history. In fact, it is an enormous topic. <laughs> yes. It is a... Uh, a very large undertaking just to do sourdough. So not to have a 10-plus hour episode, we're going to like look at different types of bread. And today, sourdough. Um, and bread, on top of having a breadth of information, <laughs> uh, they're, they're so, it's so important to so many different cultures. Oh, yeah. Give us this day our daily bread or all the idioms um, like to earn his bread, or even the etymology of words like companion, which is a combo of two Latin words, meaning someone you'll share your bread with. Oh, the pan in it, I bet. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I didn't realize. And now I'm like, oh, I'll share my bread with you, Lauren. Oh, I would share my bread with you, Annie. 
Oh, okay. I also, oh, this is, this is another one that made me really hungry. Um, sourdough mm-hmm. might be my favorite type of bread. Sourdough is delicious. Whenever my mom baked sourdough, I would smell it in my room and I knew it was going to be a very special, uh, special night. Ah. Uh. My, my my mom would make would make a non non sourdough bread. That was always a really good day as well. But um, uh, sourdough, as the name suggests, is sour bread, mm-hmm. and it involves two things that we wind up talking about a lot here on Food Stuff: uh, yeast and yeast's fermentation of stuff. Exactly. Uh, basically, if you leave some wheat flour and water or a lump of unbaked dough out. Some naturally occurring lactic acid bacteria and wild yeast get up in there. They get a fermentation party started. And when you add more flour and water to that starter, you can make bread. Uh, the yeast in sourdough, or any bread really, ha- has enzymes that break some of flour's starches down into sugars. And um, the yeast, which are, you know, single-celled fungi, eat some of those sugars and excrete carbon dioxide and alcohol. Fermentation! Da-da-da-da. Except here, uh, the alcohol is really just a, just a flavoring agent. It helps break down other molecules in the flour that produce all of the amazing flavors and, and smells that you get in bread, all of those aromatics. Um, and the carbon dioxide gas is what will make the bread rise. Assuming that you've kneaded and rested the dough so that its remaining starch molecules are, are glutinous, aka like chainy and stretchy. <laughs> Rather than just like flurp. Yeah, you don't want flurp in your bread. No. Or generally. <laughs> Sounds like something you want to avoid. <laughs> Always avoid the flirm. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile? Oh, uh, meanwhile, uh, the lactic acid bacteria, and you'll remember those from our yogurt episode. Yes, yes. Yes. They are also eating some of those sugars and excreting, yep, a lactic acid. More bacteria poo. One of Lauren's favorite things. Yes. It makes everything better. Uh, here, it produces the acidity that gives sourdough that distinctive taste. Although... Generally speaking, a sourdough does not have to be sour. It right. just has to be made using wild yeasts and bacteria. Mm-hmm. By the way, the, the longer that you let a sourdough starter, you know, that the flour and water mix or the or the dough lump kind of sit out, the, the, the more flavor should develop over time. Right. Because you give the bacteria more time to do its thing. More time. I'm learning. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> according to Ed Wood's World Sourdoughs from Antiquity, Authentic recipes from modern bakers. Quote, a true sourdough is nothing more than flour and water with wild yeast to make it rise and special bacteria to provide the flavor. Uh, bonus, as in yogurt, the lactic acid produced by the bacteria and, and the alcohol produced by the yeast prevent the growth of harmful bacteria in your sitting starter. Um, extra bonus, you can save a lump of your dough, feed it more flour and water, and use it to make more other leavened bread later on. Just like with yogurt, this culture will last for, you know, as long as you keep it alive. How long could that be? I I read claims of centuries and they've been unable to prove it. But, yeah. Uh, that's why I'm that's why I'm going on the safe side and saying, saying decades. decades. There's there's at least one San Francisco bakery that claims over a hundred years. Ah. Uh. I suspect I know which one that is, and I think we're going to be talking about them. We will indeed. <laughs> but before we get there, let's let's look at the history. Yeah, a little, little bit deeper in the history than 100 years ago. Here we go. History. Yes. Bread has been around for, like, ever. The oldest loaf of bread discovered at this point um, was in Switzerland, going back to 3,500 
Or maybe 3700 BCE. History. Yeah, yeah, I saw both dates. Yeah, uh-huh. um, I, I think I saw 3600 just right smack okay, in the middle. You know, so, so yeah, somewhere but- in that range. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wall paintings and bread remains, which is not the best oh. way to put it, but mm. pretty much the only way I could think of putting it. Sure. Um, indicate that the ancient Egyptians were using sourdough starters to bake leavened bread, possibly going back up to 5,000 years. And kind of like honey, it could go back even further pre-written words because it's a thing that just happens. Yeah. And because of that, it was probably discovered by accident when some unsuspecting left out dough encountered some wild yeast. And it's usually of the genus Saccharomyces or Candida. Yes. I hope I I got close on that pronunciation. Uh, no, I think that that that, that was spot on. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah. Yeah. Like like a like early um. Uh, fermentation of, of beer and wine and stuff. Yeah, this is just stuff that was happening in nature. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really hard to pinpoint an original date. No one is like, hey, guys. I was the one <laughs> who discovered the sourdough. <laughs> <laughs> Although whoever it was who, who discovered that this was a thing, it was almost certainly um, related to uh, beer brewing. Yes, um, because... The discovery of beer entailed a lot of experimenting with starter cultures. Um, Baking and beer brewing often happened in the same space, so it could have gone down that way. Or according to Lon Walter's Old West Baking Book, Mm -hmm. a baker got the idea to add either one of the beer starter cultures or beer barm to flour and water to see what happened. Uh, Barm, by the way, is the the scummy kind of foam that that develops on top of stuff while it's fermenting. Yes, this also tripped us up in our 600-year-old meat recipe. Yeah, I had no idea what that was. I was also, to be fair, quite drunk. Um, it was a lot of meat very early in the morning. There was It was 10 a.m., y'all. I hadn't had breakfast, and this very nice man brought us 10 samples of meat, and he kept pouring large samples. Anyway, it was lovely. It was. But I thought the barm was just the funniest word I had ever heard in my entire life at that juncture. It's a pretty good one. <laughs> Uh, back to the beer brewers. Yes. Uh, they tried out a bunch of different cultures and discovered that they, they tried them out with the bread and they discovered that some made lighter, fluffier breads and they take a piece of that dough from a batch they liked and then add some flour to keep it alive, aka a sourdough starter. Mm-hmm. And a quote from Lon Walter's book I really liked, uh, quote, each starter has its own characteristic taste and smell. Many older starters are guarded by their owners as if they were a key to heaven. They are passed on generation to generation and rarely shared. Mm, not, sti- not so friendly bread. No. <laughs> it's a different time. But it does <laughs> still kind of happen, and people give these family starters fun names like Clint Yeastwood. I enjoyed looking through those names. <laughs> <laughs> there's Yeah, there, there's, there's good lists out there. Um, and, of course, folks at this time had no idea why this was happening. You know, they they just knew that if they took a little bit of this one thing that they made that turned out good and they put it into their next batch, that next batch turned out good too. Right. And going back to our mead guy briefly for a second, according to him, that's why we call spirits spirits. Oh, right, right. Because they didn't know what was happening that was causing the fermentation and the alcohol. Yeah. And it was kind of like you're praying to the spirits. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, the soul of the beer, please please. make my beer beer and not just rotten barley water. (laughs) Right. This one thing is better than that other thing. I really want you to help me out on this. (laughs) I hope that that is true, but it's a fun story nonetheless. Yes. Thank you. Thank you to Justin of Monksmead for that that lovely story. Yes. Thank you, Justin. (laughs) 
So anyway, bread making and sourdough spread from ancient Egypt to ancient Greece sometime around 800 BCE. And at the time, it was a luxury only for the wealthy. And the baking of it was left completely to women. This was a fact that everywhere I read, they felt compelled to include. Yeah. A beer at the time, too, I think, was, yes. was lady work. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It wasn't until 800 BCE that written records of bakeries offering bread for sale pop up in ancient Greece. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. There you go. And then after contact with Greece, sourdough traveled to ancient Rome, where improved methods of kneading and baking made bread more widely available. And in 160 BCE, Cato the Elder detailed several different types of bread. Greece also spread sourdough to France sometime around the 4th century BCE. Greeks living in France noticed that if you replace the water in bread dough with the foam from a beer-like fermented drink, it produced a lighter, fluffier bread, and the cloudier the liquid, the better the end product. Uh, due to Paris's proximity to the major wheat-producing area of the region, it produced some of the country's first bakers. And at the time, all the bread they were baking was sourdough, both because it was all they knew fermentation-wise and it was cheaper because you didn't need any expensive salt, thanks to the acidity. Uh, yeah, uh, salt also helps break down molecules in rising bread and, and in uh, uh, starters, uh, making it more flavorful. Mm-hmm. Tasty stuff. And then, ah, oh, one of our old friends. Pliny the Elder. Oh, he talked about a lot of things. He really did. He wrote in his 77 <laughs> CE-ish encyclopedia, Natural History, that, quote, generally, however, they do not heat it up at all, but only use the dough kept over from the day before. Manifestly, it is natural for sourness to make the dough ferment, and likewise that people who live on fermented bread have weaker bodies, inasmuch as in old days... Outstanding wholesomeness was ascribed to wheat, the heavier it was. But, okay. Yeah. Uh, he also claimed that sourdough was better for health, which is true-ish due to the good bacteria. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, there is a teeny amount of research. Oh, yeah. Teeny. Uh, modern from, research, not like Pliny research. Yes. <laughs> I wonder what research Pliny was doing. I'm sure it was fascinating. <laughs> but according to a 2008 Acta Diabetologica study and a 2011 study out of clinical gastroenterology and hepatology in Italy, indicating that due to the lower amount of gluten content in sourdough bread, it may be more tolerable for people with celiac disease. Oh, yeah. Small sample sizes, though. Hmm. Um, it does produce a smaller surge of glucose than most other breads. Oh, well, that's good news. Yeah. So, grain of salt. Grain of salt it, but... <laughs> Uh, research does exist. <laughs> Around the same time, Pliny time, uh, Roman poet Junival wrote Satire 10, where the famous and recently Hunger Games repopularized phrase, Panem a circenses, or bread and circuses, comes from. Okay, so that takes care of the ancient history. Mm-hmm. And we'll move on to some more modern stuff after a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. 
And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant... Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Relax this Sunday with a little moment to yourself and the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Um, so, so we, we divided up the ancient and the kind of modern history like that because as it turns out, nothing really happened, um, in the history of, of sourdough bread for, you know, a few millennia. Right. Until the rediscovery of brewer's yeast around the 14 to 1600s. In various parts of Europe, doing different stuff at different times. Um, right. uh, Germany kind of figured it out first, thanks to the close relationship between uh, brewing and baking in medieval monasteries. And uh, then in 17th century France, they found that the addition of brewer's yeast made a softer, fluffier bread than the um, then usual pain brie. Which they called pan mole. Yeah. The, the new the new fancy one with the brewer's yeast was called that other thing that Annie just said. <laughs> pan mole. That one. <laughs> um, it was also around this time that um, uh, Anthony van Leeuwenhoek. Mm, mm-hmm. I, I saw it both Leeuwenhoek and Leeuwenhoek. So I'm not sure which one it should be. I'm sorry. Dutch. Uh, this dude, he, he developed, uh, microscopic lenses that allowed him to observe stuff like bacteria and yeast, these, these tiny, uh, single cellular organisms. Um, he didn't realize that they were alive at the time, but, um, but people did begin to realize due to, due to this kind of research that this yeast stuff was what made fermentation work. And also apparently there was a whole to do in French parliament about the health of brewer's yeast after doctors from the Paris University concluded used to be detrimental, mainly because, one, it was bitter, and two, the fact 
rotting water and barley was involved in this bitterness. Mm. So brewer's yeast was outlawed in 1668. Oh. But two years later in 1670, it was mostly reversed. And brewer's yeast could once again be used in bread making in combination with sourdough. A written recipe from this time called for feeding and rising your sourdough starter three times. Ugh. Two to three sourdough starters was the norm at this point in time. Huh. That's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of work. Yes. Um, and the replacement of millstones and mills with steel rollers in the 1700s made the flour refining process cheaper and helped shift bread from something that most people made at home to something more people, especially workers, preferred to buy. Um, and this, the, the, the early bit of the Industrial Revolution, was the point around which bread baking really started moving out of the home and into commercial bakeries, in, in cities, anyway, in a widespread kind of way. And in 1840, an Austrian baker based in France discovered how to make bread without sourdough using only yeast fermentation called poulish. Uh, at the time, bakers were still getting their yeast cultures from brewers. And soon after, in 1854, a patent for manufacturing powdered yeast was issued. And by 1872, France had opened their first factory of grain-fermented yeast that was more consistent and had a longer shelf life, which, as you would guess, hit the sourdough industry pretty hard. Uh, bread baking using the Polish method had been fairly common uh, by 1885, and sourdough bread became known as French bread. Yes. <laughs> Polish method, yeah, using yeast. Polish. Yeah. Polish. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. It's also around this time that the American gold rush was underway, and prospectors and San Francisco bread was becoming a thing, but we will come back to that in a second. Yes. Uh, in the meanwhile, also around this, this 18th century time, um, there was a weird resurgence of the idea that leavened bread is bad for you. Um, this time started in America. Um, you know, is baker's yeast toxic? Is anything associated with beer terrible? Are sour things ungood? <gasps> News at 11. Um, in, in 1852, a popular cookbook called Directions for Cookery and Its Various Branches decreed, all bread that is sour, heavy, or ill-baked is not only unpalatable, but extremely unwholesome and should never be eaten. These accidents so frequently happen when bread is made at home by careless, unpracticed, or incompetent persons. Strong, fresh yeast from the brewery should always be used in preference to any others. Wow. Those are some strong words. Right? I feel insulted. I know. Personally. So, I know, right? I'm like, sourdough is delicious and shut your face. Man, incompetent, <laughs> unpalatable. <laughs> like they have a word. Goodness. This person. Uh, meanwhile, in 1857, uh, Louis Pasteur published his initial findings about how yeast is, is actually a living organism and that colonies of it must be alive in order to make fermentation happen. Right. Which is true because dead yeast doesn't do a whole lot for you. No. Um, this did not help the freak out that some people were experiencing about leavened bread. Um, however, in the long run, everyone calmed down and and this the science let people uh select the best yeasts and and the best treatments for them in order to make better bread products um today strains of this very yeast that uh that Louis was working with saccharomyces cerevisiae um are are bred especially for quick growth in in commercial baker's yeast right and speaking of commercial baker's yeast mm -hmm. in the 19th century a combination of the development of 
commercial baker's yeast. And in Europe, specifically, regulations preventing long hours or working at night meant that sourdough lost even more ground to breads that rose more quickly and consistently, like the baguette. Mm -hmm. Uh, People still baked in homes. Sourdough, yes. Yes, and families still passed their starter cultures on in clay jugs. And an exception to this was in Northern Europe where rye bread was popular, and sourdough worked as a leavening agent where baker's yeast did not because rye doesn't have enough gluten to become fluffy with yeast alone. Uh, In 1964, bread expert Raymond Calvel wrote, sourdough bread making does not exist anymore. Wow. Mm -hmm. People have dire things to say about sourdough. I know. They do not mince words. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't until the 1980s that it would have a comeback, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, due to a demand for higher bread quality and also because in the 1970s, a dry sourdough entered the market. Pretty quickly sailing economically past sourdough starter cultures. Ah. This allowed sourdough to go from being a semi-hard-to-find-ish artisanal bread to something more widespread and commercially available. And in 1993, France and the UK issued regulations defining sourdough bread. Oh, regulations. I love them. <laughs> yes. With stipulations like the bread must have a potential maximum pH of 4.3 and the acetic acid content must be at least 900 parts per million. Uh, <laughs> Germany had a law differentiating between the more labor-intensive starter culture sourdough bread and sourdoughs made using dried sourdough. This kind of reminds me of champagne and how yeah. specific they are with what it is. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Oh, all of that. Um, uh, scientists have worked to identify both the natural strains of yeasts and bacteria that make sourdough happen and also new strains that could be awesome. There's dizzyingly extensive research into these critters and their interactions. Um, more than 20 species of common yeasts and 50 species of common uh, lactic acid bacteria have been identified in different sourdough starters around the world. That's beautiful. It is. <laughs> also beautiful is uh, the bit that we skipped over uh, about the San Franciscan history of sourdough specifically. And we'll get to that right after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful Beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut... 
Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Relax this Sunday with a little moment to yourself and the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So... Earlier, uh, we mentioned the Gold Rush and San Francisco sourdough, which you might have heard that the town is famous for. Yeah, I have to admit, when I think of sourdough, I think of San Francisco. Oh, I think of my belly. I don't know. Anyway, um, uh, <laughs> uh, some some bakeries in San Francisco, as we said earlier, claim that they have kept their starters alive for more than 100 years. But to trace the city's history with sourdough, we have to go to Mexico. Oh, Yep. Uh, <laughs> when when gold was discovered in the American River in Northern California in 1848, um, it kicked off the Great Gold Rush of 1849. This is not in Mexico yet. Um, uh, but it wasn't only rubes with no mining knowledge who were hoping to get rich quick who flooded into San Francisco at the time. Um, gold miners also came up from Mexico and Texas. And meanwhile, a whole bunch of French colonials had taken up residence in Mexico before the Republic's independence from Spain in the 1820s. And those French kids brought the tradition of sourdough bread with them to Mexico. This is great. Yeah. Um, Side note, uh, there's a story from the 1930s to 40s about the the quality of, of Mexican sourdough. Phil Harris, who was the band leader and a performer on the Jack Benny program, famous radio show, television show, mm-hmm. um, uh, supposedly got his sourdough from this bakery in Tijuana that he just loved. It was the only place that he would buy his sourdough bread. Um, right up until on a return trip, he was stopped by customs agents who slashed open all of his sourdough loaves looking for, as the article I found the story in put it, quote, contraband often associated with musicians. Hmm. I wonder what that could be. <laughs> uh, no one knows. <laughs> Cocaine. Um, <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, back to the early, uh, or early to mid 1800s. Um, so, uh, through, through these French colonialists, sourdough spread throughout certain parts of the Southwest. And so, when, uh, Mexican and Texan miners came up to Northern California during the gold rush, they in turn brought it there with them. Um, and they shared the starters and, and the method with the other miners there. They, they'd keep a pot of starter or a little ball of starter dough with them wherever they camped and bake sourdough bread, biscuits, or flapjacks in their Dutch ovens or iron skillets over campfires. Mm. One of the people who would obtain some of the sourdough starter was Isidore 
Baudin, a French immigrant from a long line of bakers. He he really dug this starter and started using it in his breads when he opened the Baudin Bakery in 1849, which is sometimes hailed as the first sourdough bakery in the area. There's a little bit of contention there. Uh, the owners of Colombo Baking Company across the bay in Oakland say they were the first people making sourdough. Um, at any rate, at least a dozen uh, French bread, as they were called bakeries, that were selling sourdough, which was being called French bread still in some places, mm-hmm. um, what would open in the area by 1854. Uh, a, a dozen among the like 63 total bakeries that the city hosted suddenly by then because gold rush. Right. Super wild. Um, and sourdough's popularity with the mining population would ensure its continued sale, um, even through all of the big baker's yeast trends that we were talking about, um, in the coming decades. There's a, there's a story about, uh, Budin's bakery, uh, during the big quake of 1906 in San Francisco and, and the fires that spread in its aftermath. Budin's widow, Louise, saved this, this family starter by throwing some of it in a wooden bucket before she fled. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. The, the bakery is still open today. You can go check it out and yeah. argue with my pronunciation of its name. I went there when I went to visit my little yeah. brother. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I've never been. Oh, it was so good. Oh, I also I went to Tartine. Oh, Delicious. All the sourdoughs. Yeah. Oh, now I want to. Okay. San Francisco was like baking tour for Annie. I went. I woke, I woke up at like 4 a.m. to hit all the bakeries where <laughs> they sold out of things. Oh, man. I think I missed that entirely. I think I was on like a... Fish. I mean, every time I'm in California, I'm like sushi and avocados. Just them um, in my face. Maybe next time. Okay, next time, next time. There's bakery a lot tour. of good bakeries there. Oh, I believe you. Oh, but uh, but back to the past. Yes, uh, during the uh, during the Klondike Gold Rush of the 1890s, uh, miners from Northern California headed north and brought sourdough with them again. Um, and and they brought it with them so characteristically that a nickname for these prospectors was the sourdoughs. <laughs> um, some stories say that the nickname came from their tendency to to keep their starter literally on their person, like using their body heat to maintain the culture in the freezing weather. Uh, Ruth Allman wrote in a whole book dedicated to this topic that, quote, a true Alaskan sourdough would as soon spend a year in the hills without his rifle as to tough it through without his bubbling sourdough pot. That's so great. I know. <sighs> Starting around 1969, a couple microbiologists set out to catalog the yeasts and bacteria that make San Francisco sourdough so special. They found the the, the yeast... Uh, most usually happening in San Francisco bread is uh, Candida Millari, Millari, maybe, either one. And uh, they identified a new species of lactic acid bacteria called Lactobacillus sanfrancisensis. <laughs> Aww. Yeah. Congrats, San Francisco. I know, right? You're bacteria famous. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the, the yeast is is particularly tolerant of acids. And doesn't eat maltose, uh, a type of sugar, which the bacteria needs to live. Lactobacillus sanfrancisensis is not unique to San Francisco, though. Um, it has since been identified in sourdoughs around the world. Wow. It's getting around. I know. Traveling, going places. <laughs> it was first identified in San Francisco. Ah, uh, okay. It's not, it's not necessarily native to there. Um, also, in case you had no idea, like me, um, that the mascot of San Francisco 49ers you know, Gold Rush of 49, is still Sourdough Sam. 
He's kind of like prospector dude. I don't, I don't know. Things. I hope he has a pail and it has sourdough bread in it. <laughs> oh my god! I hope he just throws loaves of bread at people. I would go. I would go. I to would definitely go game. to that game. I oh. would just have like a bucket, <laughs> shoveling all Catching the it, loaves yeah. I could in yeah. there, like in a Mardi Gras parade, but just bread. Yes. Oh, that's so much better than beads. All right, so that's. A whirlwind tour of sourdough history. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of topics that we didn't go into that are kind of glancing through that, a lot of stuff about yeast and and other things um, that we will have to cover Mm -hmm. during other episodes because it's super fascinating and it's so much. It's so much. There's a lot. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, now let's talk about if you want to make your own sourdough. Yeah, because it's it's really easy to start a a starter culture. In theory. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a friend gave me a starter culture in college, but I forgot to feed it, and it died before I used it in anything. And also, I've never admitted this to her. Oh, so oh. we'll see if she listens. I, <laughs> Get an angry email. Oh, no. um, so much for friendship bread. Oh, it, it's also called friendship bread sometimes. By the way, if you, if, if you had never heard that, it's called friendship bread because yeah. you can share your starter with a friend, right? And hopefully, you're a better friend than I. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I. I I let a, I let a starter culture die once too. <laughs> it's it is really sad. I've heard it compared to like pets or houseplants. Oh no! <laughs> you got to yeah. keep it alive. Yeah. Um. So hopefully, if you're better at it than Lauren and I, apparently, <laughs> or if you live in Stockholm where they have sourdough hotels and will house it your starter for three dollars a day. That's nothing. That's so crazy. I love that there's a hotel. Um, <laughs> and you want to try your hand at making sourdough. Here's what you would do. Uh, you just mix equal parts flour and water, like one cup each, maybe a pinch of sugar. Um, put them in a clear bowl. Some people also add a pinch of salt. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you mix them together. Uh, if, if, if you want to, you can also add a packet of dry yeast to 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 get things started, but you don't have to. Like like if you if you leave it alone, it will hypothetically catch wild yeast that's just hanging out in the air around you. That's so cool. And and wild uh, uh, lacto lactobacillus bacteria of some kind or another. Um. Uh. But yeah. So so you just you just mix the stuff together in a in a clear bowl, cl- clear so that you can kind of really see what's going on in there, and cover it with a clean cloth like a dish towel, and just let it hang out at room temperature for a few days. Uh. Stir it once or twice a day, and feed it a couple tablespoons each of flour and water every day. I know these are all really precise directions, but that's, I'm kind of combining a number of, a number of theories that I saw about how best to do this. <laughs> theories. I, I think, I think a lot of it are in instructions. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I think a, a lot of people are, it's just like try it and see what works for you in your environment. Uh, yeah, I, I saw someone use uh she said she used yogurt huh oh yeah to get the the bacteria in there sure yeah yeah. i I bet that would that would sure do it i kind of love that you use in general sourdough recipes feeding yeah (laughs) that's great it does sound like a creature it's a pet yeah it's it's a delicious pet (laughs) my little sourdough you put in the oven and bake oh that sounds terrible I put my pet in the oven. Oh, you're not putting all of your pet in the oven, just part of it. I'm getting attached to it like yeah. a, a hypothetical starter I don't even have. 
<laughs> so, um, so you, you'll know, you'll know it's like done, um, when it, it's, uh, developed a froth on the top and, and that characteristic, um, kind of, kind of good sour smell. And once that happens, you, you can plop, uh, you can just plop it in a jar and store it in the fridge to slow the growth of the yeast. Uh, just, just cover, cover it loosely. And, uh, that's basically it. You, uh, you want to feed it a little more flour and water once a week. Um, if, if you're keeping it, you can also keep it out if you want to. Uh, um, I, I think, especially here in America, people are really, really keen on keeping things in the refrigerator. Um, but you can hypothetically keep it out just room temperature if you want to. If you do, feed it every day. Okay, um, that's where I went wrong. Yeah. I did not refrigerate mine. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, if, if you refrigerate it, feed it about once a week. Um, and as the container gets full, you can just, like, take a lump out and throw it out. Hmm. Sorry, that unlucky arm of the starter culture. Now it's just going to grow in the garbage can. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, it would. I mean, I actually, maybe lucky arm of the of the yeast because it's not getting baked ever. That's true. <laughs> that is true. So, yeah, that's that, That's about it. Um, I, I want to go home and try this now. I've never tried it before. Yeah. I've been looking at recipes to try. Uh, I want to see what I would get if I if I don't add anything in, if I just do the pure flour, water, sugar, salt mm-hmm. recipe. And how long does it take? I don't know. An experiment. Oh, I need to set up a GoPro. Oh, I wonder if I could borrow a GoPro. Yeah, and do a time lapse. Yeah. And if you do, I mean, if ah. you do, you could, in theory, keep it decades, like we said at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So if anyone tries it out, let us know. Yeah, yeah. If, if you have your own family recipe, let us know. Yes, please. Uh, and like most things, there are so many variations. Oh, yeah. Of this. You can also buy sourdough cultures from around the world from sites like Sourdoughs International. Uh, they had, I, I was looking at it earlier and, uh, there was one on there called Tasmanian Devil. And it was like, what? <laughs> it was from Australia and it was like, this wild yeast will. <laughs> Make any bread more interesting. It was, uh, I would recommend just going to look at the, the yeast strains. They're pretty affordable too. Um, also, uh, sourdough isn't just for bread, which I kind of mentioned with the prospectors, but you can use it in biscuits, pancakes, regular cakes. All kinds of stuff to add flavor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there are so many variations of like strains of sourdough that North Carolina state biologist Rob Dunn started the Sourdough Project in 2016, my favorite fact of the episode, <laughs> uh, where he and some fellow researchers are asking home bakers to submit their starters for DNA sequencing, yeah. pH and enzyme level testing, and what? other biochemistry markers. That's so cool. I know. I was so happy reading this. <laughs> they want to know things like if feeding a starter water versus milk makes a difference, the impact of the climate, the impact of the baker. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So supposedly, um, uh, I, I read somewhere that, that the theory is that any of the, the lacto, uh, lactic acid bacteria that get into your starter dough come from your hands. Yes. And they think that there might be a difference between male and female bakers. What? Yeah. And they're in the summer, this summer, Summer 2017, the Sourdough Project is planning a sourdough bake-off with 20 different bakers and 20 different starters, DNA sequence the starters, bake some bread, and compare the results. I cannot tell you how excited I was reading about this, and I was already planning on going to such a joyous occasion in the name of science. But it's in Belgium. Oh, yes. oh hey, boss, do you want to send us to Belgium? Please, come on. 
It's for um, science. I know. I hope that they, that somehow the sourdough project hears about this and they're like, <laughs> we gotta, we gotta fund these girls to come with us. We should get in touch with them. We should. Or, um, you know, I mean, we can start, I'm, we're both compact. We could probably fit in someone's suitcase. I am willing to travel via suitcase <laughs> if I can. In the name of thing. sourdough. <sighs> yeah. All those kinds of sourdough. Oh, okay. Yes. And the final note on that I will leave you with is that the questionnaire for when you submit your starter is adorable. So cute. <laughs> it makes you, it really does make your starter sound like a pet. <laughs> That's Sourdough Project. You can look it up. Yes. And I, I think that's, that's Sourdough. That's in a, in a, in a very, in a very compact ball of bread dough. Stuff <laughs> sounds so appetizing. I know. Mm. <laughs> um, however, we do have some lovely listener mail for you. Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. After our honey episodes, Carly wrote in with this bee fact. I'm a bit of a bee enthusiast and one of those aspiring beekeepers you gave a shout out to in the beginning of the episode, and I just wanted to share one of my favorite trivia bits about bees: how they mate. This this side note is also something that that Annie and I uh, we we got to talk to one of those bee scientists about uh about all this. There's a video. It might actually be up when you're listening to this on on, it's definitely on Amazon Prime. Yeah, yes. so check that out. But okay, but back to Carly because uh, this is so metal. Um, essentially, what happens is the new virgin queen takes off on her maiden flight. All the drones follow in a swarm. The drones take turns trying to uh, stick her with their manhood, located where a worker bee's stinger would be. Uh, The successful drone, after impregnating her, literally ejects his genitalia out of his body, (laughs) after which he falls to the ground dead. Yeah, and all of this happens in flight. The more I dive in into entomology, the more convinced I am that the insect world has a vendetta against their male population. Additionally, after all is said and done, any drones remaining in the hive are kicked out come autumn by the female worker bees and are left to die in the frigid wilderness because there's literally no use for them after the queen is pregnant. Cue Kanye's heartless. Bees are so fascinating. <laughs> Lauren and I could talk forever about bees. I yeah, it was a it was a struggle to get that video episode down from what well, like like an hour and a half. Yeah, it's it's like fifteen minutes now. Yeah, and we, originally, I mean, it's about honey, but there was so much cool bee information. Yeah, that it 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 became honey and bees, and I I had to face a difficult choice as an editor. Is like, <laughs> uh, should we focus on honey, or should we just leave in all this awesome bee just, stuff? Because there's so much awesome bee stuff. It really is. Everyone had such great things to say about bees. Um, uh, but that's but that's not our only listener mail for the day. No, um, we have two from our fried chicken episode. First, a short one from Elaine. I truly enjoyed your fried chicken episode. I have spent many years in Japan, and I thought y'all would like to know about their interesting and misinformed Christmas fried chicken tradition. <laughs> KFC in Japan touted themselves as the must-have centerpiece for an American Christmas dinner. Look it up. It's quite funny. Huh. Yes. I had heard a little bit about Japan's uh, affinity for KFC. It is quite funny, and you should look it up. 
And uh, Chris wrote in with something that I have been meaning to circle back to. Uh, he wrote, uh, During your fried chicken episode, one of you mentioned Nashville hot chicken with the aside that you weren't sure if it really was a thing. Despite the major chains attempting to destroy it with mediocre knockoffs, Nashville hot chicken is absolutely a thing, complete with its own origin story and festival. Origin story, yes. The legend around Nashville hot chicken is that it originated when a lady named Andre Prince got mad at her husband, who came home drunk and loudly demanded she cook him supper. To get back at him, she fried chicken with a massive dose of hot pepper, meaning to burn his mouth. Instead, the husband loved it, and friends soon started asking Prince to cook her, quote, hot chicken for parties and gatherings. Today, there is even a Nashville Hot Chicken Festival held on 4th of July and begun by a former Nashville mayor who loved the stuff. If you want to start a fight in Music City, the quickest way to do it is to plant your flag on one of the three major authentic hot chicken purveyors. (laughs) These are Prince's, the original, Bolton's, which also serves fish with the super hot seasoning, and Hattie B's, the, quote, upscale newcomer. Mentioning a certain KY Colonel's version will get you the equivalent of that New York City yell on the old BBQ sauce commercials. <laughs> and I wanted to mention this because this came up in my physical therapy office when I was talking about my research and they were like, you didn't I, talk like, about. <laughs> <laughs> and they were saying that there was cheating involved, that he was oh. coming back late because he was cheating. Oh, anyway, this That's is a great test. story. I know. I um, I can't believe we didn't run across this either. Yeah. Uh, I did recently try Hattie B's. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it was really good. I hope that doesn't get me any hate mail. And I haven't tried the other two, so I can't make an informed. Yeah, you can't compare. It's not a. It's not a. It's not one is the best. It's just that one was okay. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So defensive. We're both. We're both very scared now. I know. (laughs) Don't. Don't. Don't want. Don't want anyone to come in all like New York City. (laughs) I really don't want that. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) final. Listener thing. Uh, we got oh. a, we got a gift in the mail. Yeah, from, we got a physical piece of listener mail. That was lovely. Yeah, it was a thank you note. Um, from a, Michelle. From Michelle. Out of Louisville, Kentucky. That's how my Kentucky friends say it is pronounced. And she sent us, um, she sent mint, us some, some, some derby, some derby glasses. Yeah, some some uh, mint julep derby glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's lovely. Thank you so much. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a giant list of the, all the horse names, um, from, Winners from previous years on the back, and oh, I love them. I know. Yes, just bright my day. Right, yeah. So, so thank you so much to to Michelle for uh for for listening and writing in and sending sending us lovely things. Yes, and thank you to Chris and Elaine and Carly for mm-hmm. the letters, and to all of you who have been getting in touch with us. If you would like to do so, there are several avenues through which you can. Yes, one is by email at foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. Uh-huh. We also have a fancy Facebook page, like 27 of you have liked it. It's great. What? I know. Uh, that's at foodstuffhsw. We're also on Twitter at foodstuffhsw and on Instagram at foodstuff. Um, yeah, we try to post there sometimes. There's, there's a lot of things going on, y'all. Um, but yeah, we, we take goofy videos and pictures of ourselves and other stuff that's going on in our lives. We we've been we've been uh doing a lot of little side video projects for for the show mm-hmm. and um those are going to be showing up on on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and uh 
those those longer form things are going to be on Amazon uh, video. Yes. Yeah. And it, it's free for everyone. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's technically Amazon Prime, but it's yes. free to view. Yes. Even if you don't have Prime. Right. Yeah. You'll get an ad, but that's okay. Yes. Yeah, Prime, ad free. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's that's it for the show today. Uh, thank you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> Relax this Sunday with a little moment to yourself and the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.